All right, everybody, welcome to Reflect and Shine, a Christian apologetics podcast. My name is AP Sizemore, and I am your host. My goal here is to encourage and equip my brothers and sisters in Christ while also removing obstacles to the gospel for those who are genuinely seeking an authentic relationship with God. My hope is that they may also come to know and follow Jesus personally as the way, the truth, and the life. Let's get into it. Okay, so the first order of business, I suppose, is to point out to those that may not be aware of um, Christian apologetics exactly what it is. So uh, apologetics comes from the Greek term, the Koine Greek term, apologia, which can be found in the Bible, the New Testament specifically, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 in which Peter has um, written a letter to the uh, other Christians abroad, encouraging them for various purposes in the Lord. But one thing he says very specifically in the the verse uh, numerated 15, he says, quote, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, end quote. And this is one of the premier verses from which apologetics has been born, if you will, the skill set of apologetics. And it, and, uh, it comes from the uh, giving an answer, uh, give the reason for the hope that you have. And uh, apologia is a term that's often found in Uh, legal writings from the early first century, uh, though throughout the first century AD. And in those legal writings, the term apologia was often referred to a legal defense, a reasoned, uh, well thought out, reasoned, a well articulated defense based upon the facts, right? And and it was often uh, used then and is still used now in, in terms of its definition as a launching pad for apologetics, which is the term we use today. A lot of people hear apologetics. I know when I first heard it, I was like, well, apologetics, does that come from the word apologize? <laughs> I thought to myself, what are we apologizing for? You know, we Christ is the truth. What would you apologize for telling the truth? But anyway, um, I, I don't want you to have that misunderstanding either. <laughs> so I thought I'd clear that up. And so um, it doesn't mean to apologize. And it uh, simply means to give a reason defense. And, and in this case, we saw in context in the letter from Peter to the church that I quoted that we are to give, uh, be prepared to give an answer to everyone, not just the people who have the simple questions, um, not just the people that have the more complicated objections, but to everyone regardless. And being prepared means what? Well, you got to be well studied to be prepared, or I should say sufficiently studied to be prepared for that. And, uh, and that's, that's where this skill set came from. So, uh, essentially apologetics has developed from that point forward in its purpose, which is to get through work through the, uh, objections, right? Reasonably. So the objections that people have to uh, reasonably work through them in order to clear the path, if you will, 
to the gospel itself, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Um, you know, people have all sorts of you know scientifically based questions and um, or other sorts of influences that they've uh, encountered experientially throughout their lives that may give them trouble, you know, as, as far as being able to be one receptive to the gospel and two to be able to hear it not through a filter um, except that filter which would enable them to accurately and grasp accurately and authentically grasp what is actually true uh, about christianity about jesus christ uh, and about the, the the bible itself and so apologetics apologetics aims to as a skill set it aims to uh, be able to work through those objections, clear the path so that the heart and the mind, um, you know, generally speaking, the heart and the mind can be free of debris and can receive the truth for what it is. And then, of course, work through it based on what is actually true about it, not what pop culture has said or some negative experience has taught and so on, but to deal with it rightly and then come to uh, a true and an accurate conclusion as a result of that. Okay. Uh, so that's apologetics in a nutshell. But why is it important today? Well, you know, if you think about all of the various worldviews that are out there, it, it you know, the, the water's been muddied, if you will. It's, it can be difficult to even come across, you know, a single person, even someone in the church who hasn't been um, negatively influenced by the wide array of ideas, you know, in the marketplace of ideas that are out there, you know, it, it, culturally, uh, societally speaking, with all the in, in, when you factor in all the media and the social media uh, and so on, there are a lot of popular beliefs about not only Christianity but about religion in general, about science in general, and uh, and so on. And you know, so we want to be able to to live a good, fruitful life that's productive and meaningful not only immediately meaningful, but ultimately meaningful, we're going to want to apprehend the truth and in order to apply it in our day-to-day lives and therefore receive the benefits of, of the outworkings of doing such. So um, it's important that we get to the bottom of things and to get to the bottom of them rightly. And apologetics is aimed at doing that in regards to uh, the, the greatest question of all, is, which is, uh, is there a God? And if so, uh, who is he or what is it? You know, who is he or she or or it and what is it and that sort of thing um, and apologetics wants to to help cultivate from that question the actual reality um, of the answer uh, if there is one which which I believe that there is now there are you know if you look at all the various worldviews that are out there there are seven uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say major I almost want to say major worldviews but I would say more prominent worldviews that you're more likely to encounter, especially here in the Western world. And I'll list them very quickly. There's uh, theism, atheism, pantheism, panentheism, which sounds almost like pantheism, right? An extra syllable in there. (laughs) So we have uh, theism, atheism, pantheism, panentheism, which is number four. Uh, Next, we have deism. From there, we have uh, finite godism. From there, we have polytheism. Okay, and those are the seven more prominent worldviews that you're, you're, you're most likely to encounter, at least in the Western world here. Uh, theism can be defined as simply God being infinite and personal, both imminent and transcendent, and, um, and also the belief 
in a God that created the universe and also sustains the universe uh, moment to moment. Atheism is, you know, we're talking about the classic definitions here, right? So classic atheism would be defined as uh, the belief that no God exists anywhere and that the universe is self-sustaining. Next, we have pantheism, which is the belief that God is the universe itself, you know, more commonly found in Hindu beliefs, for example. Uh, so pantheism is that God is the universe itself, the universe is God, and that the creator and the creation are really one and the same. There's no distinction between the two. So the physical objects in the world around us are God itself or, or his or herself, and uh, we ourselves are also God. There's no distinction between us. Um, except in explanation, maybe, but not in actuality. Uh, from there, we have pantheism, which is a belief that God is kind of like a mind in a body, the body being the universe, and uh, God inhabits that body, the universe, but he's changing. He's not fixed as the theists believe, uh, fixed meaning um, that he's complete and, and therefore has no need to change or to grow. But uh, panentheism believes that God is actually changing and at the same time has infinite potential to expand beyond the physical universe. Uh, pretty interesting. Um, the next belief is deism. Deism is that God is beyond the universe, but not in it. Um, that he's transcendent, but not eminent. Now, remember, we saw with theism just a moment ago that the theists like myself believe that God is both eminent and transcendent at once. But the deistic view is that God is beyond the universe and not in the universe. And if he's not in the universe, well, guess what? That means he's uh, not eminent to it, but he is transcendent. Um, so they don't have any supernatural, uh, any belief in supernatural intervention. So think of the universe as kind of like a closed box that no one reaches into. And if you were to contrast that with theism, for example, theism would be an open box, the box meaning the universe. And a theist view is that God can reach into that box and, um, and shift things at will. So uh, from there, from deism, we get into finite Godism, which is really a viewpoint that was driven by the problem of evil, and, um, and which many people struggle with. Myself, I've struggled with that also, as I've matured in my walk with Jesus Christ. Um, thankfully, he's led me to the information and the experiences and the understanding and so on, where I've become uh, free of that, if you will. It's no longer an obstacle to me. I understand it rightly. It fits right along in with the uh, what Scripture teaches about God and God being all good, uh, which we'll get into in later podcasts. This is something I'll explore in depth. I actually did um, my, um, I, I wrote my, my thesis paper. One of my thesis papers was written on the problem of evil. So I'll, when it's time to get to that episode, I'll crack that open a bit and we'll walk through it together so that you too can have a better understanding and, and come to a realization that it really isn't an obstacle in terms of uh, believing in God or the fact that there is a God that exists in the first place and so on. So again, finite Godism is a view driven by the problem of evil where the belief is that there, um, that God is, is, finite in both his nature and his power okay the next belief system is polytheism and that belief is simply that there are many finite gods and um that there, also it's important to say that no they also do not believe that any infinite gods exist beyond the world uh, they believe that gods are active in the world and that there are a plurality of gods there are many gods but there are no, no infinite gods that exist beyond the world and that's that's polytheism classic polytheism uh, in a nutshell. Uh, 
So, you know, with those seven worldviews within that group of seven, the seven more prominent worldviews that you're likely to come across here in the West, within that group of seven, uh, three of them are most prominent, and that's pantheism, atheism, and theism. Now, with pantheism, we'll summarize that this is the belief that God is all. Um, atheism is the belief that there is no God at all. <laughs> and theism is the belief that God created all. Okay, And those are the three uh, prominent, or I should say most prominent, worldviews of the seven, which I just listed. Now, this is getting to the reason for apologetics. We've got the... We're hoping to filter this down to what's actually true of reality so that we can identify who God, uh, well, whether or not there is a God at all. <laughs> and um, if there is a God, which religion has he revealed himself uh, to us through or in? And so that we, those that are seeking him can actually find him, if you will. And, uh, and most commonly uh, above the seven are the three prominent views that I just mentioned, pantheism, atheism, and theism. So we've got to get through the seven in order to get to the three, in order to get to the truth, right? Uh, and, and that's complicated. We're talking about the big questions of life here. So we can expect a, a degree of complexity to this, but the reward is having a, a, a metaphysical view, a large picture view of reality as it truly is. And uh, as we all understand, having the truth it, it sets us free. It empowers us to live lives that are fulfilling, uh, meaningful, where we can flourish and those around us can flourish as well. And not just in a finite sense while we're here, you know, for our 80 some odd years on earth, but in an, in, in an eternal sense where we can come, if there is something beyond those 80 some odd years, where, where hopefully we can come to a realization of what that is and how to get there. Um, and, and the hint, folks, is that it's not found in science, although lots of truth in science, of course. Anywho, how do we filter through this? Well, you know, one of the grids, um, you know, I've uh, had the privilege of taking some courses under Ravi Zacharias uh, International Ministries. And one of the things that he teaches and, and others in that group teach are the uh, two, three, four, five grid. And, and that's really just a, a methodology for filtering through the data in and around uh, God and what we mean by God and, and uh, the various religious beliefs that are out there and so on. So it, it really centers on two theories. The correspondence theory of truth is one. The coherence theory of truth is other. And the correspondence theory in short is that simply that the facts must all correspond, right? So if you're looking to uncover what's true of something or a certain set of uh, some things, then the facts that directly relate to those items must all correspond. If you're going to find to the truth, the truth that is that you would find of those things, whatever they may be that you're searching through, you want the facts themselves to correspond. And the coherence theory is that the facts also must cohere with one another. Right. So not just that fact A corresponds directly to fact B, but also that facts A, B, A and B also cohere with facts C, D, E, and F as well. And they all come together nicely in a way that makes sense, kind of like fitting the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle together properly, if, if you will. Um, so, we're, you know, in application of those theories, the test that we apply when it comes to the information 
around the, the various worldviews and the religions that are you know, fall under each of those umbrellas. We're always looking for logical consistency. We're looking for empirical adequacy, and we're looking for experiential relevancy. Those three things are important because you know logical consistency helps us understand. That, you know, we're looking for what's rational about the claims that are being made. Uh, empirical adequacy is we're looking for whatever it is within those claims that's empirical, ver- empirically verifiable. If there is anything in the claim, some, some there are some claims, many claims out there that are not empirically verifiable. Um, Christianity has often been accused of this, but you'll find is if you stick with me long enough through these podcasts, you're going to find that that is actually a misconception. Uh, we do the empirical adequacy is on our side by and large, um, far and beyond. Uh, anyway, we'll get into that when it's time. And the, the third item is experiential relevancy. And in, in other words, we want to know. Does it is it relevant to our day to day experience, right? Because if you know if there is a God, and God has revealed Himself in a way which we can grasp, then it's it's pretty it's logical to believe that uh, God would have revealed Himself in revealing Himself in a way that we can grasp would have done so um, in a way that corresponds with our experience, right? And 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 coherently in all of our experiences, they should cohere in a way that also falls in line with, with what I've just said there. Now, among these items are, you know, five the five disciplines of, of the soft and hard sciences, theology, metaphysics, epistemology, ethics, and uh, anthropology. Put simple, those, those five disciplines could be summarized as, let's say, another term we could use is uh, a God. Instead of theology, we can look at, we can just call metaphysics reality. <laughs> we could call epistemology knowledge, and we can call ethics morality. And lastly, we could call anthropology humankind, right? So we're going to be, as we sift through those five disciplines, you know, uh, by sift, I mean through the books we read, through the media that we encounter, um, through the experiences that we've, in, in the education that we've acquired. Um, you know, throughout our lives, you know, whether standard education or higher education through university, for example, you know, as we have encountered the various teachings and subjects and so on in and around these items, um, we, we need to apply the, the, the two truth theories, coherence and correspondence. We need to also apply uh, our prior views, not our prior views, but our, our prior tools in regards to the three tests. We want to make sure that the information is logically consistent, empirically adequate, and experientially relevant overall. Um, hopefully that makes sense within this context. And we want to look at this through within four categories, you know, um, the origin of life, the meaning of life, uh, morality, and destiny. And those four categories comprise what's often referred to as a worldview. And, and each of us has a worldview, whether we realize it or not. And we all believe something about the origin of life, the origin of mankind. We all believe something about the meaning of life, you know, what we believe it to be or what we've been told it actually is. We all believe something about good and evil, morality, in other words. And um, we all believe something about uh, destiny, about where we're going in the afterlife. You know, once we pass away, if there is an afterlife at all, which I believe that there is, and I believe the facts uh, show that. So anyway... We want to look at those four categories in light of the other items I've just mentioned, and we want to make sure we're applying our three tests for truth in light of the the two theories of truth, which I mentioned, and um, we want to make sure we're consistent in doing so as we come across information that comes uh, to us from the five disciplines I mentioned earlier, theology, metaphysics, epistemology, ethics, and anthropology. Okay.
So we want to make sure, you know, the five bases for truth are uh, pragmatic. Truth's got to be, you know, it can't just be some ethereal, um, abstract bit of information, right, that's true. It also has to be pragmatic. It has to be able to come down uh, to the ground level, if you will, and um, be pragmatic in its application and its understanding also. So that's one of the bases for truth. Bases for truth. Uh, we talked about truth needing to be experiential. It needs to be cosmic. It also needs to be big. It can't just be uh, uh, true to us, uh, right? Subjectively true. It needs to be objectively true. Um, it also has to fit history. And it has to be uh, expressed in a way that makes sense and applied in a way, let's just expressed in a way that can be applied that makes sense of our community and the uh, deep, innate gravitation and um, belief towards community as human beings as well. Now, this leads us to, you know, the purpose of, of all of that and applying it rightly is, is um, so that we can identify whether or not there is a God, and if there is a God, who is he or what is it, right? And that's all the items that is mentioned will be underlying throughout each of these podcasts that I, I intend to complete. Um, I'm looking to do a couple of seasons at least, and, you know, God willing, I'll, I'll do as many as he would like me to do and the, that he graces me to do. But, um, but that's what we're trying to get to. We're trying to get to a reasoned, rational, logical, logically consistent answer about that question, which I mentioned uh, earlier. Is there a God? And if so, who is he or her or what is it <laughs> overall? And we're not going to get to that answer today, unfortunately. This was just to lay the groundwork and the foundation, um, one of the foundations upon which I'm, I'll be standing as we you know, walk through the, the different data points and, and, and uh, bits of information and, and, and tackle the various topics that I have planned to discuss throughout this podcast. So stay tuned for the next episode in which we'll cover the three more prominent arguments from a theistic point of view, uh, a Christian point of view, that we believe um, do prove that God exists. And so those three arguments very quickly are the cosmological argument, the moral argument, and what's referred to as the teleological argument or the argument from design. So I'll discuss those in our next podcast. But for now, I just want to give you a hearty thanks and let you know how greatly I appreciate you giving your time and your energy to giving me a listen today. So have a blessed one. Looking forward to see you back on the next episode. This is AP Sizemore signing out of Reflect and Shine. Peace. <laughs>